Chris Yeager is currently a pediatric urology fellow at Boston Children's Hospital. He's a recent graduate from the urology residency program at The Ohio State University, where he co-created and implemented a 12-week wellness program for the residents. Chris shares his experience with the research protocol, thoughts on institutional wellness, and identifies priority domains highlighted by his work and reflected in his daily wellness practice. This is an excellent episode, especially for trainees as they transition from residency to fellowship or beyond, and great for anyone involved or interested in a surgical trainee's experience. I hope you enjoy. My name is Phil Perazio, and I'm a urologic oncologist, a surgeon. Like many of you, I absolutely love what I do, and I would not choose another profession. But I've struggled with professional identity, practice efficiency, and wellness over the years. Operate with Zen is a podcast designed to explore a mindful approach to surgery and to being a surgeon. By discussing these struggles and mindful solutions, I hope together we can create a community of strong and healthy surgeons. Enjoy. Welcome to this episode of Operate with Zen. Today, I have the great pleasure of being joined by Chris Jaeger. Chris, introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you for having me, Phil. Um, my name is Chris Jaeger, and uh, I'm a proud Michigander um, who's married to a wonderful wife named Kat. Um, but I guess professionally, I am uh, entering in my third year of a pediatric allergy fellowship at Boston Children's Hospital, and I'm a proud graduate of Ohio State's um, uh, residency program. Yeah, so we had the, the great pleasure of meeting at the AUA, uh, American Neurological Association meeting, where we were both on a resident panel for wellness. And it was a great conversation and some and really great topics. But, um, uh, you know, one of the reasons you were there is for this wellness initiative you started at Ohio State. So uh, if you don't mind, let's start there. Tell us a little bit about what brought you into a wellness initiative at Ohio State and what you learned. Yeah, so, you know, at, at Ohio State, you know, I have my own personal journey through wellness, but I think, you know, myself and and some of the other core education faculty, uh, namely Dr. Lee, Dr. Post, and Dr. Bellows, we're really taking note of the, the burnout that some of the residents in our program were experiencing, um, but also the phenomenon that was kind of sweeping all of medical specialties and uh, especially urology um, in the literature. And we wanted to do something about it. And, you know, we didn't want to just kind of say that it was happening and hope that some other entity or the system was going to take care of itself. We wanted to, to try to do something about it. Um, but we also didn't want to just do something offhand um, without paying attention to the literature and, and trying to do it as scientifically as possible. If, if that means, if that means something. And mm-hmm. um so, so yeah, we, we essentially took note of what others had done in the past, um, both in urology and outside of urology, um, in surgery and outside of surgery, mainly focused toward residents. And we try to compile it into a, a curriculum um, that we, we piloted. And uh, 
we wanted to measure its effect um, as best we could um, on burnout in particular, but also stress and satisfaction with life before and after. That's great. So uh, let's start with some basics. I mean, how do you think about or define wellness? What does that mean to you? And there's lots of ways to define this. So, um, you know, just curious on your thoughts. You know, for me, I think, I think wellness equates with, with general health um, and um, satisfaction with life um, and satisfaction with job. Um, I don't actually ascribe to one particular definition for other people, but for myself, that's what that means. And I think that our curriculum and our pilot program really reflected that. We can go into details, but essentially we didn't want to create a one size fits all. We wanted to offer as many ways to get to wellness as possible, depending on your own definition. That could be something in the mindfulness category. That could be something in more of the physical health category. Um, So to me, wellness is much more in the sense of mental health Um, for, for others and maybe something completely different. So yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, people people ask me all the time to say, "All right, Phil, what like what's your routine?" And I say, "Okay, well, this is my routine, but I can guarantee you that's not going to work for you, right? We've all got to find what works for us and be intentional, be purposeful about how we move through wellness and what that means for us." And um I agree with you. There's definitely a strong uh, mental component, uh, mental health component. For me, I found a huge physical health component. And, you know, you're a little younger than I am. You you may see as you spend more and more time in the operating room, you don't feel as good as you used to. And, uh, you know, the wanting to physically feel well at work um, has been a big driver in my kind of wellness journey, especially over the last few years. Um, so yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about the program. How did you expand it out and what were the different components that you allowed people to individualize into? Yeah, yeah. So um, we we started with uh, a big literature review um, just to see what others had done. And we, we found that, um, you know, these wellness strategies at particular programs, we, we call them domains. Um, and they really encompass six domains. And those were nutrition, fitness, sleep, mindfulness, positivity, and work-life balance. Also, you know, some would prefer to call it work-life integration. And, um, you know, we basically define two activities within each of those domains that residents could try. Um, and these were linked with pr- prior successes that other others had demonstrated with, with published research. Um, and what we did was we wanted everybody to try it in the first part of the pilot. So we added a 24 week pilot in the first 12 weeks, we asked every resident who was willing to comply with this voluntary pilot program to try an acti- at least one activity within each domain over the first 12 weeks. And in the second 12 weeks, knowing their experiences in the first 12 weeks, we asked them to choose at least one activity in a domain that they liked, you know, that they found was helpful. Um, so really ascribing to the notion that one size does not fit all and that, you know, some would prefer one domain or maybe a set of domains and others would prefer something completely different. And, you know, we measured the, you know, as close to an effect as we can with this, you know, imperfect, non-randomized trial with, um, with validated measures um, before and after. And we also measure compliance throughout. That's great. So give us examples, you know, if you don't mind in each of those domains, nutrition, fitness, sleep. Uh, mindfulness, positivity, balance, what's something you could have done in each one of those just so people understand? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these these aren't um, novel novel things. I don't want to say that they're novel by any means, and that'll come out. Um, so, nutrition one activity was eat a three balanced meals per day. Um, another one was to avoid a vice, you know, such as alcohol, simple sugars. Um, you know, these things that can certainly affect how we how we feel, but how we think as well. Um, for fitness, ten minutes of moderate activity, um, or organize a team activity or sport after work um sleep was get at least seven hours of sleep um and try to stay away from try to practice good sleep hygiene by staying away from devices at night if possible if you weren't on call um you know we can go through another couple of examples one in the positivity realm was actually have a meaningful conversation with a spouse or a friend um and then for work-life integration we actually found a number of people chose this activity you know we had we one of the activities was to actually organize or attend um, a social activity. And what we found as a result of this pilot program is that our residency program suddenly had a ton of communal meals and, and activities to do. So, I mean, you know, there, there are, there are people who would obviously choose, you know, one of those activities or another based upon their personality and what works for them. But we really tried to, to not make it, onerous um and to, to allow people to do very very simple things but also um meaningful things yeah i think it's beautiful and you're not giving yourself enough credit right you know very, there are very few you know truly original things but what's original here is kind of putting this together in a very digestible way for surgeons and for trainees and i think it highlights some really important things first is everybody's going to have different needs in different domains and not only that, those are going to evolve with time. So your needs during training may be different than your needs during fellowship, may be different than your needs as faculty. And we'll, we'll talk about that because you're going through some unique tr- transitions too. But I think, you know, um, one of the other important things that this highlights is how much we crave interaction in the hospital, right? We, we, the people we work with, particularly in our subspecialties in our fields, we, we have a lot of similarities and a lot of things that bring us together but we don't often spend time cultivating those. And I think the fact that you, that your residents and your co-residents show that they wanted to spend time together is hugely impactful. Just saying how strong community is, but that's also an incredibly mindful way to, to approach kind of the struggles we go through and, and, and wellness, right? It's a way to be present. It's a way to be present with other people and really engage with them. And I think that's just an incredible observation in itself. Thank you for saying that. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the community aspect, especially in urology, I think a lot of us got into urology in large part due to how it differentiated from maybe general surgery, at least in my instance, in the, in the community aspect. So I think really leaning into that, um, we, we found success in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other really important part of this too, is you provided people with really foundational information most people don't know what good sleep hygiene entails. And I also love that it wasn't eight hours or 10 hours. Seven hours is reasonable. And everybody's going to find their different sleep pattern too. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm happy at six hours. I'm, I'm highly functional at that, but I do strive for longer when I, when I can. But getting the devices away, people don't understand how, how actually detrimental that can be. And just yeah. giving people the basic foundations of good nutrition, good sleep hygiene, short amounts of physical exercise can make huge benefits in your overall wellness. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, even in the instance that, um, you know, people have heard these things before, I think actually putting them on paper and 
you know, challenging in a polite, voluntary way to, to ask them to try to practice these, these good habits um, um, can go a long way. Yeah, it's and the, the point that brings it, you know, I encourage people to get stakeholders. You created a stakeholder model, right? By being involved in a study, there was a stakeholder who was involved in every single resident's well-being. And that's huge. Um, uh, and I, I give you a lot of a lot of credit for kind of pushing this through. Tell us some. Um, Tell us a little bit of, uh, I know your paper's not published yet, but tell us a little bit, if you don't mind sharing, kind of some of the outcomes and what you guys noticed over 12 weeks and 24 weeks. Yeah, so I, I think one important outcome is is compliance, um, just to see if this is even feasible um, to do. And uh, we thankfully had good compliance, not perfect, um, but uh, about three quarters of our residents participated in this voluntary program, which was um, I was pleased by. Um, and we found that those who did comply with the program, um, over time, they engaged in more good habits than bad habits. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, everybody has got good and bad habits that they do. And, you know, it, this can be measured on validated questionnaires. And what we noticed over time was that those who complied with the program did more good habits and less bad habits. Um which was great. Um, our primary outcome was um, burnout. And uh, we noticed a 26% decrease in burnout on validated measures uh, pre-post. Um, we did notice a 18% decrease in stress and 21% increase in satisfaction with life. Um, you know, obviously with our study design, this can't be directly attributable to this pilot program. We know that. Um, but we we did see measurable increases in, in these three important measurements. Um, we did notice, actually, interestingly, that um, these positive effects that I described were more pronounced for senior residents than they were for junior residents. Um, we also found that no one of these wellness domains that we had talked about um, were um, better or worse than the other. Um, and then overall, the re residents were quite satisfied with the program um, and uh, and the ability to choose their own approach. So um, all in all, I think it was a success. And, you know, we know that it was a pilot program. It was always designed that way. Um, so we have since expanded it. Well, since I left, Ohio State has expanded it to the faculty cohort. And, um, and it's actually expanded beyond the Department of Urology. It kind of caught fire within the... Ohio State University and other departments have actually embodied some aspect of this wellness curriculum for, for their program. But, um, so long story short, good success, not perfect, um, but uh, hopefully coming to a journal near you. Yeah, that's in incredible. And I think it's I think it speaks to the need for this and the desire for people to kind of pursue wellness. I think, you know, just what I'm most interested to see now that you mentioned this, the senior resident, junior resident, how it parses out with the faculty as well. As we think more about wellness curricula and incorporating this into how we train surgeons, it might help us identify what we should be targeting for juniors versus senior residents versus junior faculty versus senior faculty, because we, we do have different needs and different um, professional development needs as we progress through our careers. And I think that's, uh, could be some incredibly valuable information, Chris. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we did have some important lessons learned though. I think it's true for, for any program, you know, I think one of the most important lessons was um, to have a champion, uh, for this program within the resident cohort. I think myself and others um, were, were filled that role, but I think without that, I think the program would have 
would have fell short. And then, um, and then also like we realized that, you know, you know, I told you about some of the activities that we prescribed, but people wanted more actually, you know, two activities wasn't necessarily enough, you know, it, it didn't, pre- it, it didn't speak to everybody the same way. So we, we have since like expanded the number of activities and, and provided even more resources if people want to delve down that road. You know, they don't have to click on all the links and, and go to all these different resources, but they can. Okay. Anybody sign up for mindfulness? Yes, everybody tried mindfulness and, you know, our mindfulness activities were download or use a meditation app or follow a meditation guide for, for 10 minutes a day um, or engage in narrative medicine, um, which is something that, you know, yourself, I know, um, engages in um, quite readily, but I imagine a lot of your allergies don't. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, yeah. but uh, at least those who went through our program have tried it. Yeah, no, I'm just curious, always curious what, what other people are thinking out there. Um, any big failures, anything you, you would have noticed that in retrospect, you would have done differently or people that you had a really hard time engaging with? I wouldn't say an overt failure. I think, um, the, the most common complaint uh, we got was from faculty. They were like, what about us? And, um, I heard that, um, probably a thousand times and I didn't have a good answer other than to say that, you know, I'm a resident and, you know, we, we wanted to tackle we, what we thought were the most vulnerable people, but that may not be true. I think that that could just be a bias. And um, I think not incorporating faculty, it may not be a failure, but I, I do think it's something that is vitally important when we talk about wellness. You know, it's, it's, it's not one population that affects, it affects, you know, well, burnout affects everybody and wellness is important to everybody. Maybe completely different domains that are important for junior residents, senior residents, faculty, et cetera. But um, omitting them from these programs in retrospect was not the best idea. I think it's very honest of you to say, you know, I think, um, you know, if you, I've become very interested in junior faculty and some of that's through my personal wellness journey and story and thinking about the struggles that I had as a junior faculty member, but seeing that that is an area that is not uh, well addressed, right? Residents have program directors and they have program coordinators and they have people who check in on them on a regular basis. And the ACGME is basically a governing body to make sure that residents are okay. People who progress through senior levels of faculty development may have coaches or kind of professional development courses. But really when you start in your career, you're kind of left to figure out a lot of things on your own. And I think we can do a better job there. And I think you, you highlight that there are some interventions that we could provide to early career p- people to really help them out. And so uh, I think, once again, a really important point that you're now providing data for, right? We think these things, but data is hugely important in, uh, in our field and, and others. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, I've, I've heard of various, you know, I'm not, I'm not a faculty member myself, but I've heard of various strategies to try to, um, coach or to help transition junior faculty into those roles. But um, it's something that causes quite a bit of anxiety for myself looking, looking to that, uh, that transition in the next year or so. Yeah. And I, w- I want to talk about that, but before we get there, uh, let me ask you, how did this tie into your personal wellness story? You kind of alluded to it before. So, you know, where were you when you started this program and where did it help you get to, if that's the appropriate question? Yeah, um, my my personal journey with uh, burnout and wellness is um, it, it was it was a tough one. It's a well, my my personal journey with wellness is ongoing. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I have not figured it all out. 
um, and I'm constantly growing. Um, and I'm on the cusp of my clinical year in my pediatric allergy fellowship. So I'll definitely need to practice some good strategies coming up. But, you know, in, in residency, you know, Ohio State was going through a number of transitions when, when I was a young resident there. And um, the, the morale of the entire department was, was low. Um, yet the patients kept flowing. And, uh, and a lot of residents were feeling um, very extended and burned out. But, you know, in my personal experience with this, you know, I, I noticed that I was interrupting patients. I noticed that um, I was even in certain instances showing a, a significant lack of empathy toward the patient experience. Um, still doing my job to satisfaction, still progressing in my learning objectives, but um, was not really there. Um, and this was completely out of character for me. And it was something that um, I, I noticed in myself. And when I kind of took stock of things and, and took a step back, I realized that, you know, I was going to work and I wasn't really doing anything healthy for myself. You know, I, I was essentially going to work, you know, working very hard and coming home to, you know, either pour a drink, um, to decompress in front of a TV and not talk to my wife, to not eating healthy, um, eating fast food whenever available and falling asleep and doing it all over again the next day. And it was like this vicious cycle of continuing to do that and practice unhealthy habits. Um, and that's, that's, I noticed that in myself and how did I, I get out of it? Um, you know, I, I had tremendous support from my wife. Um, but to be honest with you, I, uh, I got out of it by kind of like leaning into, um, what it is to be like a physician, if that makes any sense. And I watched a lot of, um, my, my, I watched my mentor with, with patients uh, who is a urologic oncologist at, at Ohio state. I, I watched him really lean into the essence of patient care. And he, he was one of those, you know, faculty who really embraces humanity. And, um, I kind of wanted to model his behavior. And I realized in order to do that, I needed to be a healthier version of myself. And that's when I really tried to look into what strategies I could implore to basically be more present myself, take care of myself first. And, um, that's where I fell into diving into wellness. And, um, that was honestly the precipice for this, this wellness curriculum. That's great. And, and thank you for being so honest and, you know, I'll tell you my my personal story is is similar, but I wish I had recognized it when I was a resident and in training. You know, I didn't realize I was burnt out till a few years into faculty, and was able retrospectively to look back and say, "Man, I've been cycling in and out of burnout since I was an intern, basically, maybe even in med school." And I think recognizing when you're acting out of character, when you sit there and you go, "I just yelled at an ER resident," or I, you know. I was really rude to a nurse. Would you normally be rude to people? I don't think so. I don't think most of us would be. And and we don't do it because we're bad people. We do it because we're burnt out and we've lost all of our kind of emotional reservoir and our ability to kind of function at normal human levels. And that's what made me realize is sit there and go, that's not who I am. I've been acting like a complete moron and I need to make some real adjustments. And I think, you know, I give you a whole bunch of credit for recognizing that as a trainee. And I give credit to your program for, for fostering that as well, too. 
Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And, and I'd like to highlight this because, you know, I talk to a lot of trainees now. I talk to um, fellows and residents and one of the big criticisms of kind of this mindfulness wellness movement is we're residents. We have no control of our schedule or very little control of our schedule. How the hell are we supposed to focus on wellness? How are we supposed to work on nutrition and diet and sleep when, you know, I'm at the whim of the OR schedule and the faculty's day. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to highlight that you did it. And um, so tell us a little bit about how you made those adjustments, how you fit it in to a resident schedule, to a trainee schedule, because I think it's an important lesson for people to hear. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great question. You know, outside of changing the system, which, you know, I'm not going to talk about, but certainly can play a role in all of this, um, is is really prioritizing it. Um, you know, we, as trainees, we don't have a lot of free time. I understand that. And we are at the mercy of, uh, of the system and um, the rigors of training, but you do have options in every, almost every minute of the day to do something either for yourself or to either neglect it or choose something that is unhealthy. And I think it, it, you don't need to start like big, you don't need to change your whole life in order to incorporate wellness strategies. You need to um, choose small things one at a time and they pile up to create a better version of yourself or, or to allow you to be the best version of yourself is what I should say. So I think our curriculum demonstrated that doing small things like doing one activity in the, in, in the mindfulness area actually really helped me tremendously where, um, you know, I would reflect upon the day and write down what went well and what didn't go well. Um, that in and of itself allowed me to decompress in a so much more healthy way than just to sit in front of a TV at the end of the day, which we'll all have like five, 10 minutes to do that. You can't tell me that your program is that, that busy. And instead of doing that, I wrote it down and I had a chance to reflect. I had a chance to put it in a binder and call it a day if it was a bad thing. Um, I had a chance to look back after, after a week and realize all the things that I had done well. Um, and the other thing that really helped me was instead of, you know, having a drink and sitting in front of the TV was to just have a conversation with my wife <laughs> and you'd be surprised, like, you know, engaging with another human at the end of the day and like getting either talking about work or not talking about work allows you to, I don't know, retain a sense of your humanity. I think both of those things, even in extremely busy programs, both of those things and many other things that are small can have a big impact. Um, and dismissing that, I think, is is perhaps where some people can go wrong or just not knowing that it, that it helps tremendously. Hugely important messages, Chris. You know, small changes can lead to big, big, big differences in who you are and the way you feel. And the next thing you know, you know, listen, you've made one small five-minute change then it's two small five minute changes. And then all of a sudden a year or two later, you've made an hour of difference in your day. That just makes you feel like a completely different person. And it's a long game. It's, it's not a short-term game. And, and you said before, you're still working on your wellness. You know, I've kind of, I, I like to call it a, a wellness practice, right? Just like people have a mindfulness practice or a yoga practice or a golf practice, right? I mean, you're working on these things on a daily basis. You're never going to be perfect at them and you're always going to evolve. And I think it's great that how you recognize that those small changes make big differences. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think this is how, you know, 
elite athletes do it. And, uh, yeah, I think everybody is kind of embracing this, this growth mindset these days. And I think that this fits right into that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell us now, you're finishing up your lab year in fellowship. You're heading into clinical year. Obviously, huge transitions from residency to a research year to a clinical year. Nuts and bolts, how have you managed your wellness and what's the plan for being clinically busy up in Boston? <laughs> well, I, I couldn't go without saying it's, it's, it's two lab years in Boston. Oh, two lab years, that's we, right. We, 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 we love our lab. Um, so it, to be honest with you, it's, um, it, it's hard. You know, th- these transitions are hard. And uh, I'll be, again, the first to admit that I don't have it all figured out. Um, creates a lot of anxiety for me. But, you know, one thing that, I've realized thus far is that, um, you know, I know that I am going to work extremely hard and I am going to grow clinically and um, likely going to do well um, when it comes to the the metrics of how I'm going to be graded upon by the faculty um, based upon prior performance. And I think a lot of people would think that about themselves too. Um, But one thing I, I know could happen is that I could get so sucked in and so distracted about my own personal health that I'm going to become somebody that I don't want to become much, much like residency. So um, when I think about these transitions, I really do prioritize my own health um, and making sure that I'm getting practice again, I'm practicing these small strategies, you know, during the lab year, I had the luxury of sleeping in. You know, I didn't have to get up at four o'clock to be at the hospital by five. You know, I could get in the lab by seven, eight, nine even. Um, and I had the luxury of just having the option of sleeping seven hours or more. Now I need to prioritize that. Now I need to think about like mindfulness actively. I need to think about using those five minutes at the end of the day to have a good conversation with my wife, even though I'm going to be very tired because I know that it's going to help. Um, I, so I think really knowing that you're going to need to prioritize these things and start practicing before you transition, um, and being okay, honestly, with, with little failures along the way, but, um, be kind to yourself, I think is, is another thing I, I tell myself during these transitions, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get it all right away. Um, but it's, it's not acceptable for your own health and for the, and for the health of your patients, um, to not prioritize yourself. Yeah, a couple of great points. I just want to reflect back to, to the audience because I think they're so important to hear is anytime you're going through a transition, you think about kind of the ideal and where you want things to go and where they can go. But anticipating what can go wrong actually does a ton to reduce anxiety and get you prepared for things when they don't go perfect. And I think that's the other great point you bring up that failures are going to happen. It's okay. Give yourself grace, give yourself kindness and recognize you're not going to be perfect every minute of every day, but being prepared for when things aren't perfect is a huge step in anxiety reduction, but also preparation for, for success. Um, and I think that's an important message for people to think about. And then the, the last part of this is, is being active, right? Recognizing that you're no longer, uh, once again, your life is going to become less, uh, less controlled by you. You're going to become more of the, the whim of the kind of operating room schedule and your training schedule but you, you may need to be a little more active in the things that make you whole and the things that make you well. 
And that's part of mindfulness. Mindfulness is not just being in the moment, but it's intentionally doing it and purposefully doing it. And I think that's a great point you bring for the, for the people listening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I didn't mention, I, I think is especially important is, um, is to lean on your support system. And I think within that is um, engaging with mentors, actively engaging with mentors. Um, and I'm not talking necessarily clinical mentors. Obviously there's a place for that in, in growing clinically, but I think that there's equally, if not more important place to continue to grow personally and to make sure that somebody is there um, to, to check in with you. You know, you know, for me, I, I find a lot of support from my wife, but um, I also lean, lean on that urologic oncologist. Um, that was my mentor back at Ohio state, even though I'm not doing urologic oncology and I'm in Boston. Um, and hopefully others have found people in academic medicine along the way who can, who can serve that role at their institution or outside of it. I think a lot of faculty would, would love to, to be in that position um, and, and understand its importance. And I think it's in these transition moments, especially, I think that leaning on your support system, especially mentors is, is vital. Yeah. I, I love the term stakeholders because it implies kind of a two-way relationship where they can help you make decisions when you're struggling. There's somebody you can rely on, but they can also, they also hold you accountable. So whether it's your wife or your surgical mentor or your cut, your mentor from Ohio state, you say, listen, you know, I'm, I, I set these goals for myself, X, Y, and Z. Am I living up to those expectations and a good stakeholder or a good mentor is going to tell you yes, no, or somewhere in between, you know, these are the things that you can do better. And these are where you're falling short, which is hugely important to get somebody honest on your team. Who's going to tell you when you're falling short. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, um, July is going to come around real quick. Um, what's the strategy for the day? You, you've obviously created a, a wonderful routine for yourself. You seem like you're in a pretty good space. How, you know, nuts and bolts, what's your strategy for maintaining that wellness? Yeah. I, um, as I've alluded to before, I think wellness can come from a variety of different domains. But for me, my strategy is is really just in a couple of domains. Um, I, I need um, exercise in order to maintain some level of um, physiologic support um, for what I'm, what I'm about to do and uh, what I know is coming in surgery. So for me, that, that is running. I run a couple of times a week, so I have to carve out some time. Um, and for me, one of those runs will be on the weekend when there's usually more time. Um, and one of those runs has to happen during the week. So that's, that's the bare minimum. And I know physiologically that that makes sense for, for my body. Um, but the, honestly, the most important thing that I do every day is um, I journal um, and I um, talk to my wife. And I think these two things are you know, vital for me to keep, keep things going. Um, it, it, the journaling especially provides closure. Um, to some things that went poorly. It allows me to reflect and allows me to see successes in real time. And, you know, even if it's small wins, even if it's things that, um, you know, in the moment when I'm writing them down seem like minuscule, when they add up over time, when you look back at them, um, you realize that you've done quite a bit of good, which, you know, in in dark times (laughs) can be quite helpful. Um, And then keeping up that relationship with my wife, I think is... um, is especially important for me because she is my support system. You know, we're, 
we're Midwesterners living in living in Boston, and it's just us two. So, um, you know, for for us, that's that's incredibly important. I'm I'm adding a uh, I'm adding a character into our life. We're we're getting a puppy. Um, so it may not be the best timing to get a puppy in July, but um, we're giving it a try. So that could be another strategy. <laughs> Puppies and children. There's never a perfect time. There's never a bad time. You, if it's important to you, you make it happen. It'll it'll work out. Um, I love what you said though, right? You can't, you're not going to, you recognize you're not going to be able to focus on all of the domains of health every day. And that's okay too. And, but you're really parsing down what's important to you. And um, I always, you know, one of my favorite things to say to people is you can only have one priority. And I think you've identified, uh, you know, kind of your wife and your relationship as a priority. And then you could prioritize things underneath that, right? You can, your physical health is one big one there for you. And I think it's really important for people to hear. Chris isn't talking about running every day. Chris is talking about running twice a week. That's okay. That's still physical health and, and working on it. Journaling is a daily activity, but it's also important to recognize I journal, you journal, a lot of people out there do. Not every day are you writing for tens of minutes or hours. Some days it's just brief thoughts, 30 seconds, but you keep that activity up. And then there's days when you sit there and, you know, I, I can write a couple of pages or more than that, just reflecting on kind of random things that happen throughout the day or things that I want to put down because they're important to me. And I'm sure you have the same experience. So you don't have to do these major, major, major things, but identify your priority, talk to your wife, talk to your significant other, and then, you know, identify two or three things beneath that, that are really important to your essence, hugely important message for the audience, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I, I've, I've tried, you know, other strategies and it's not that they don't work. They just don't work as well as these and they don't fit with that, my lifestyle, um, at least as a, as a fellow and as a, as a resident. So this is what's worked for me. So in a year, you're going to have another transition. Yeah. Um, not getting too far ahead of things, but as you anticipate kind of the transition to faculty, how do you foresee, you know, uh, not, not to kind of put you on the spot, but you seem pretty good at this. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You know, if, if things go ideal in a faculty position, what does it look like? And what are the things you, you could foresee being issues as you transition from fellowship to, to faculty? Yeah, this is, this is something I spent a lot of time thinking about um, because it does, it does scare me. Um, you know, I think, you know, not knowing exactly how I'm going to be measured and and as far as success and um and how i'm going to be honestly just compensated and what i need to do in order to to keep that position going causes anxiety just in the unknown but you know i i think um i think a couple of things are important to me when i think about this next step one is um that i don't lose all the strategies that i've gained in training um and that i continue to practice them no matter what you know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're on the attending line and the brief op note or in the, in the trainee line, you know, wellness is important. And I think that, you know, we realize that in our pilot and I've certainly realized that in the multiple institutions I've been at. Um, so continuing on, not, not throwing away what you've learned and even though the context is different. Um, but I do think though, when I think about an early career faculty is is trying to be at a place that prioritizes this and recognizes that it is vitally important um, because there are 
significant systems things that can contribute to burnout. Um, and um, I think one of them is a, a chair or a leader of a department or a division that just dismisses it entirely. Um, and I don't want to be at a place like that. Um, and um, don't want to also, you know, play that card with future tra future trainees that had come out of training and, and enter the department. So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Uh, I think the take home is that just don't throw away what you've, what you've picked up in training and continue to try to grow. You know, this is, this is a never ending business of trying to get better. You know, it sounds like you've done quite a bit since you become a faculty member. And I anticipate myself continuing to grow in these strategies as a young faculty member. So, you know, I haven't figured everything out. I don't think anybody has, but, um, but to don't stop training in wellness is what I, I guess what the take home message is. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great message. You know, um, our career in surgery should be about 30 years. We hope, right. Some of us will go longer. Some of us will go shorter, but, uh, even when we're done operating the, the wellness practice will continue, right. It will transition onto something else. And that, uh, you know, thinking down the road, that could be a really tough transition, right? How do you stop doing something that you've done and loved for, you know, 20 or 30 years? But uh, we'll save that question and, and those thought processes for, for another time. Um, I love what you talk about having a supportive department and supporting, supportive leadership. How do you um, think about structuring your week or your day um, from kind of an ideal wellness standpoint? You know, you're going to, you're going to think about your dream job in the next year. Uh, you may or may not get it, but let's think about kind of how you would like that dream job structured. Yeah, I think, um, I think the dream job would, you know, would honestly be, a, be at a place where people have the same values and you have wonderful partners um, who, who think the same way, but also practice, you know, wellness themselves. And, and you can tell. Um, what, what those departments are and, and how they feel. I think, you know, not, I don't want to get, go into the specifics of, you know, starting off with 30 minute patient encounters as opposed to 15, you know, that kind of thing. I think I'm sure that probably helps <laughs> but, uh, um, and to not be so hard on yourself. But um, I, th I think, you know, being kind to yourself and, and knowing that, you know, transitions are tough. Um, but, um, but I think the biggest thing for me is to be in a place where, um, I'm going to have support because, you know, I've, I've recognized in my time that I really do lean on other people in order to get through hard times. And, you know, if I don't have that element there um, outside of my wife, then I'm going to have a certain element that creates wellness for me, not present. And uh, so I know enough about my own wellness strategies to know that I need to be at a department where this is prioritized and the partners practice it on an active basis and, and can model it for me and can help me grow. I think it's, uh, I think that's a really important thing. It's, it's insightful to who you are and what you need and recognize too, you know, we have, we each have individual value systems and we each have individual personalities and finding the place that fits right for us is hugely important. And the people that work well with us and compliment us, um, I think is, is hugely important. And it brings us back to where we started a little bit in um, that how important culture is. And I just want to highlight, you know, you talked about in your next job or your dream job, having partners that 
you know, facilitate a good culture and all this, you changed culture at Ohio State. Um, and you did it in a relatively short period of time. And, I, and it wasn't you on an on a island. I mean, it was incredible leadership and support and co-residents and faculty who wanted to be a part of it too, whether they were included or not. And so if you're in a place, the reason I'm bringing this up is for the people out there who are not in a place where they feel supported or well, that you can be that impetus for change. You can model good behaviors and you can talk about these things. And it may not happen overnight. It may not happen as quickly um, uh, in your place, but you can make these changes by being kind of the, the force of good culture. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for saying that. That's uh, quite flattering. I certainly could not have done what I did without the incredible influence of Dr. Cheryl Lee at Ohio State. I mean, she talked about changing culture. She, um, she did it almost immediately when she stepped on campus and um, she was the impetus for this whole thing. So can't, can't take credit for that. Well, tell, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Dr. Lee and her leadership style. How did she do it right away? What was the, I mean, if you remember kind of the, it doesn't have to be word for word what she said, but kind of how she said things in the beginning to set a tone. Yeah. Well, she's, she's a person um, many people know who sets very high expectations for people, but um, they make you, she makes you feel that you can meet those expectations if not exceed them. And she's also willing to, to go to bat for you in order to get to that point. Um, but I think one of her biggest, her biggest strengths as a leader is um, um, empowering those underneath her, in this case, myself, to, to take on a leadership role and create programs and to build something um, for yourself, but also for the program. Um, and I think a lot of leaders are, are have a very prescriptive way of doing that or, um, or, or want to do it themselves, always want to be the leader of the ship. And in this case, Dr. Dr. Lee empowered me to take control as a resident, as a PGY3. And um, it was the, the one thing that was the, I guess, the, the core defining thing for the residency program for a couple of years. And it was being led by a trainee. And I, I don't think that that would happen in a lot of programs. And that's a testament to how Dr. Lee does things. And um, couldn't thank her enough for, for empowering me to, to do this. And she, she lit my career um, to focus on things like wellness and medical education in large part because of her empowerment. That's an incredible, it's an incredible story and an incredible example for people to hear. Good. So what haven't we covered, Chris? What, what else do you want to talk about? You know, is there anything I missed or we missed that you, you think it's important to cover today and, and that people should hear? Not in the context of the the wellness pilot, but um, but I guess I'm I'm curious. I mean, are you are you optimistic for the future of of burnout and and I guess on the flip side, wellness in in urology? Uh, I am. I'm it's, by nature I'm an optimist, but I'm I am incredibly optimistic. And the kind of data I would support to say that is that more and more residency programs are becoming interested in wellness. And wellness initiatives, more and more faculty are being um, becoming interested in it. And um, I'm getting asked to give more lectures on uh, and discussions on wellness and well-being than on kidney cancer or any of the urologic oncology work that I've ever done, which uh, may speak to the quality of the urologic oncology work I've done. But I think it also speaks to the need 
um, and the desire around this community and people wanting to feel well. I mean, we're at a critical mass and a critical juncture where people are struggling and we're struggling together and we can rise out of this together and um, creating this community, having these conversations, sharing experiences of good, bad, and you know how to move forward, I think is what people need and want to hear. And I think it speaks a little bit to why people are listening to us today. Right. Um, and I think uh, I am optimistic. That was a long winded answer to say, yes, I'm, I'm very optimistic. We're moving in the right direction. You see institutions now, um, you know, university of Pennsylvania, there's a grant mechanism now for wellness programs. And it's not just yoga and ax throwing and happy hours. No, it's metric defined objective measures implementing programs, I think we're going to see some big changes in the future for how we mentor and treat and change our, our residents and our fellows and our faculty. And this is going to be all going to make us better surgeons, I think, which is hopefully the, the goal of doing this today. Well, I, I also share in your optimism and uh, on behalf of, I guess I can represent trainees in this instance. Um, I, I want to thank you for, for, for bringing this topic to, not that it wasn't in the, in, in the light already, but certainly it wasn't in the light enough. Um, so thank you for all that. And certainly wasn't a reflection on your, your work in urologic ecology. <laughs> debatable, highly debatable. Um, we'll see if I, if the grants rolled in for wellness and not for any kidney cancer work, I think the writing's on the wall, but it, uh, well, that, that will be decided in the future. Chris, thank you so much. Um, just to kind of summarize some of the great things that you said today for our audience, you know, we talked about domains of wellness as you kind of rolled out your, your program at Ohio State and how different, different people are going to have different needs in different domains, and that's going to evolve over time. And that's all okay. That's part of this wellness practice or this wellness evolution that we're all going through. But being purposeful and mindful and thinking about what's important to you is all part of that. I think the other really important message from, from your, your pilot study um, is that you can make change. You can make really, change, really big change in a small amount of time with little steps. These this weren't kind of complete revamping of the surgical rotation structure and the operating room and the way people interacted. No, this was, you know, 10 minutes of exercise or, you know, uh, three balanced meals a day or seven hours of sleep. I mean, these were little changes that led to big cultural changes in wellness. We talked a lot about uh, transitions too, and I thank you for your insights into that. And I think you know, one of the things important for people to hear is as you're going through a transition, whether it's into residency, out of residency, into your first job, whatever it may be, think about the ideal, but then also think about your potential pitfalls or what could go wrong. And that will prepare you for when things aren't perfect and when they're not perfect. And when you experience your first of many failures, give yourself grace, give be kind to yourself. And when things are getting tough, whether it's in residency, in training, transition, really focus on your priority kind of domains. And you identified those for us today graciously for yourself. Everybody's going to be different, but you're not going to be able to do everything and every day to be well. But focusing on whether it's your physical health or your personal relationships, mental well-being, whatever it may be, parsing down, identifying what's really important to you and can keep you moving in the right direction, I think is uh, incredibly important. And uh, keeping good strategies was one of the things you said over and over and over again. So I think that was huge. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to benefit from our conversation today, Chris. So thanks for that. Thank, thank you so much for, for the opportunity to speak with you and, and tell your listeners. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you soon. <laughs>